0: of Psalms, chapter 22, after we pray, and we're going to go through that, that psalm. Lord, I love you, and God, right now, my soul is, is filled with your presence, and I am thankful because I like coming to church and lifting up my hands and praising you, and it fills me as I give my praise to you, and I know others are in, or feel that same thing, and I pray now that you would let your word, would you let it speak to us in a mighty way, we pray, in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. As you're seated, I'd like you to turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 22. And uh, we're going to take some time to to go through it. And there's there's a lot in there that's powerful, and we'll hit on some of that. And then we will focus uh, particularly on about three verses uh, that I want to do. In the book of Psalms, it's amazing the, the, the breadth. Of Psalms and everything that it comes and uh, Psalms chapter twenty two, many would tell you it's a messianic Psalm, and you'll understand as we go through it because you will hear the voice of Jesus in those Psalms. And and while it is a it, it does have a prophetic push to that Psalm, we would also be bereft if we do not accept the Psalm for what it is before we look at the prophetic moment. Does that make sense? David wrote this psalm. And it was more than just a a glimpse forward thousands of years to the cross. But David was going through some things in his own life. And David wrote them down. And when Jesus was on the cross, you will find that he echoed some of those words. And so I want to take you through it. I'm not going to give you uh, commentary on every verse But we will take some time uh, other places. Psalms chapter 22 and verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Again, that's where I say you hear the cry of Jesus hanging there on the cross. And although this psalm transcends the time and space to that wooden cross on Calvary's hill, You have to take it in the context first in which it was written. And I don't know whether or not David was going through an intense emotional attack. I don't know if it was physical in nature. But can you hear David as he begins to call out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And the words of my roaring. Before you think that David had lost faith, before you throw David out and say, ah, you reprobate, remember, even Jesus said those words, and he knew the end from the beginning. Because it doesn't matter whether or not God is going to help us or bring us out. In the moment, in that, in that time, it is okay to cry, my God, my God. He begins to say in verse 2, oh my God, I cry in the daytime but you hear not. In the night season, and I am not silent, but thou art holy, O thou, that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and you did deliver them. Uh, They cried unto unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and I'm no man. I'm a reproach of men despised of the people. Again, as those words begin to flow off the pages of the Bible, I'm reminded of Isaiah 53 and verse 2 where it says, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, a root out of a dry ground that hath no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And you hear the prophetic voice of Isaiah leading you to Jesus, but again, don't accepted only for that. David was in a bad spot. David heard that. He said, I know that others have been helped, but Lord, I need thee. In verse 7, David, he's beginning to have a, a little bit of a pity party. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. Now, I'm sure there's other things that this means but as I begin to read it the, 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 the word picture that comes to my mind is they're running their mouth against me. They're just going. They shake their head and they say this verse 8. He that trusteth on the Lord that he would deliver him let him deliver him seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. God you are the one that makes me hope. When I was upon my mother's breast, I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Pay close attention. Many bulls have compassed me. "'Strong bulls of bastion have beset me around. "'They gaped upon me with their mouths "'as a ravening and a roaring lion. "'I am poured out like water. "'My bones are out of joint. "'My heart is like wax. "'It melts in the midst of my bowels. "'My strength is dried up like a pot shard "'and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. "'You've brought me into the dust of death for dogs.' Have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. I tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots on my vesture. Again, you hear that prophetic voice thousands of years before Jesus hung on the cross. You hear the part telling, They pierced hands and feet. The garments are parted and they've casted lots. David was going through something as well. He said in verse 19, Be thou not far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorn. I will declare thy name unto the brethren, and in the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. You could keep going for the next couple of verses, but I'm going to stop there. Because in that Messianic psalm, in that psalm, there were animals that were mentioned. And I become intrigued when I'm I'm curious why David chose those. Whether David was speaking only of himself, or perhaps it's because of the, the future tense of that prophecy, that common thing that links this psalm together is there was something attacking David. There was something that was at him. Whether it's the wild bulls of Bashan, or whether it's the dogs, or whether it's the lion, you have, towards the end of that chapter, you, you, you have, in verse 20, you have that curious phrase, deliver my darling From the dogs. Now, if we were to use the English part of that, you would say, well, when I think of the word darling, I think of my wife, I I think of Zoe, I think of something that's special, but it's more than just that. Again, let me just pull it. The bulls compass me, they're surrounding me. The dogs are compassing me, surrounding me, They're, they're coming at me, save me from the lion's mouth. What what David was doing was pinning pinning a compound phrase. He He was showing how much under attack he was. It was not enough just to talk about the bulls. It was not enough just to talk about the dogs. It was not enough just to talk about the lions. He said, deliver my soul from the sword. The longer that I'm alive, the more important... My soul is seen to me. Now I've always known it was important to go to heaven. I was raised in church. I have good parents and they've instilled values in me. But I will tell you as a child, I, I, I knew it was okay to get to heaven. But there were other things that became more important, so to speak things that were tangible, things that I would one day get, a driver's license or a car or a wife or a house, those things that that you see in this world as status and if you have these, you've got it. But David says, I need you to deliver my soul. See, the order is so very important. You can lose your life but not lose your soul. But if you lose your soul, What is your life worth? Jesus told him, he said, don't fear the ones that could kill you. Jesus said, fear the ones that can steal your soul. Steal the one that can corrupt your soul. Because if somebody murders you tomorrow and your soul is okay, sure, we're going to mourn the death and I don't wish that on anybody. But I know what your future holds. Paul said to be absent of the body is to be present with him. And if somebody violently takes my life, I don't want that to happen and I know it's going to hurt and, and people are going to mourn. But I would much prefer to, to, to be absent from this life but to slip into the arms of God than to live here and never make it there. Jesus said, and you know it, Jesus said, what doth it profit a man if he gain the whole world but lose his soul? Jesus was telling you, compounded on other verses in the Bible, Jesus was telling you how important your soul is. There is nothing more valuable, there is nothing as precious as your soul. Your soul is what separates you from everything else that was created of God. Nothing else has a soul. Contrary to those of you that love your animals, and I love animals. I've got, have, have, I've got a dog, now had him, but your dog probably is not going to heaven because your dog doesn't have a soul. I know you think that, and I just, it's, a, it's like I just told you that Santa Claus doesn't exist. Your, your, your life is ruined now because you, your dog is so important, and I'm glad you got your dog, but God did not breathe into your dog. God did not breathe into the horse. God did not breathe into the swallow that flies. But God did reach down to earth and breathe into that, 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 that statue, if you will, of Adam. And the Bible says that when God breathed into him, man became a living soul. There is something inside of you. There is something inside of me that connects us so closely to God. It is called our soul. I have used it in terms of talking to people who are lost and it's been one of the ways that I communicate the importance of being saved. And I will say things like this, I will say that within everybody there is a God-shaped hole in your life. I probably got that out of a book, and if you know what book I read to get that, tell me, and I'll give them proper credit. But all of us have that God-shaped hole in our soul, and in this world, they will fill that with all sorts of things. They'll fill it with work, they'll fill it with pleasure, they'll fill it with hobbies, they'll fill it with alcohol, they'll fill it with drugs, they'll fill it with sexual things. They'll fill it, or or try to rather, do anything to satisfy that longing within them, but what they are forgetting is that the only thing that will satisfy them is for their soul to get right with God. Tonight, come back tonight, uh, it's not part two, in fact, it's not going to have anything to do with this per se, but tonight I'm going to tell you how important the relationship is and what happens when you have a relationship with God versus you don't. Come back, you're going to want to do it. But there is a hunger in us. Your soul is important. Your soul is going to be ultimately what you're judged on. When, when some of them uh, came to Jesus, the, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in a resurrection anyway, uh, but they, they, they got to Jesus and they said, we, we are curious what you think. If, a, if a, a, a lady is married to a man and he dies and then she gets married to his brother and he dies and then she marries their brother and he dies and on and on and on, when they get to heaven, whose uh, brother or, or whose husband is she going to be? Jesus, and I love my English standard version, because Jesus just basically uses the word. He says, you're stupid. Because sometimes those rhetorical questions are that. Those are foolish and vain questions. But Jesus goes on to explain that when you get to heaven, it is not your physical body that's going to be there. That's why the Bible says you're going to have a new body. Because the thing that matters most is your soul. Your soul. I don't know if we'll look different in heaven. Sometimes I'm thinking that might be a good thing. Others, maybe not. But it's not this flesh that gets there. Our soul is ultimately what we are going to be judged on. Now, can you do things to your body that are sinful? Yes. Can you do things and, 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 and physical things that are sinful? Yes. But the mark of that gets imprinted on the soul. If the soul is saved... If the soul is made holy, if the soul, according to the book of Romans, if the soul has had righteousness imputed on it, given to it, then that soul will be ushered into heaven. But if the soul has been marred by sin and the filth of unrighteousness, then hell is your dwelling place for eternity. In fact, I, I will—I'll tell you this: we were—we were laughing. My kids are downstairs in—in. In, uh, uh, Sunday school, but yesterday I was talking to Brienne, and, and we have a rule in our house that, that they can get a cell phone when they turn 12. And so Zoe wants, Zane obviously, he's 14, he wants he has a cell phone. Zoe wants a cell phone so bad she can't, you know, she can hardly taste it. And, and so we were talking about that. Well, my mother got a new phone, so she has a pretty decent iPhone that, that I could have, and so I jokingly told my wife last night, I said, I'm going to give this to Zoe, Zoe's 10, and Brienne goes, well, she's not 12, I said, I know, but it's biblical, because the Bible says that the worker that started at the beginning gets the same amount of wage as the worker who started at the, at the night, and so, you know, it's just kind of how it works, and you know, that's how it is, but, but here, here's the point of that. It honestly, and and it's hard for me to wrap my mind around this, and you better not twist my words and and take this to say that, that I don't believe we ought to live holy. Because one thing you don't want to gamble with is your soul. Okay? But I will tell you right now, the only thing that will matter in your life is the moment that you take your final breath or the moment that time ends and God calls everyone to judgment. What matters is was your soul saved then? Now, again, I I don't think you ought to to gamble on the fact that you can do whatever you want to do and then about the time you feel that last breath coming on, you can rush to an altar and repent because I'm afraid you'll miss it and you'll lose it and you'll get so far lost you won't know how to get back to Him. So I'm not telling you to gamble your soul, but what I am telling you is that the condition of your soul at the moment your life ends is going to be what judges you on the basis of your eternity. If that is the case, if your soul is that important, then I would tell you today, you must guard your soul. Guard your soul. Those three attackers that that David begins to write about those three ravenous beasts that would like nothing more than to take hold of our soul, to take hold of that darling and tear it into pieces, the bulls of Bastion, the ravenous dogs, and the roaring lion. I heard a story of an old farmer. He was out on his farm and he was going about his business and one day a shiny black car pushed, pushed, pulled in and and this guy got out in this three-piece suit and he said, I am from the FDA and I've come to inspect your farm and, and I'm going to do it. And the, and the old man said, look, that's fine. You can go anywhere you want, inspect whatever you want, but stay out of that field over there where that old bull is. And, and that kind of made that government official mad and he puffed himself up as big as he could. And he said, let me tell you something, sir. I have a badge and this badge tells me I can go anywhere that I please. So the farmer said, fine, sir. Go anywhere that you please. A little bit later, he hears the most god-awful blood-curling scream, and that old man, he's lost his coat and his, his, his uh, vest is flapping open, and he is running for his life through that field with that bull after him. And he's saying, help! And that old farmer said, show him the badge. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been around a lot of bulls. It's interesting, my, my, uh, growing up and, and in Louisiana, a lot of them have livestock and I love cows and love to walk out there and many times the bull is the one that's the friendliest. It comes up to you, 2,000 2, pound cow, 2,500 pound great big old bull. You can scratch his ears, but I will tell you if you ever get a bad bull or if you ever get around a bull that is not very friendly, there's not much you can do and this is what David was talking about. He said, many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of bastion have beset me round. They've gaped upon me with their mouths as ravening and a roaring lion. And, and to understand that, you, you, you let, let me show you a few other translations, if you will. Now, we use the word unicorn. And, and some of you are really excited because you like unicorns. But I'm going to try to bust that bubble too since I'm doing really good at at busting fictition or fictional uh, characters. But the unicorn, as they transcribe that or translate that in other verses, one of them says, snatch me from the horns of these wild oxen. The message, which is a translation I don't normally use because I have found great inaccuracies within it, but this one, I kind of like it. It said, if you don't show up soon, God, I'm done for. Gored by the bulls, meat for the lions. That's a fairly apt translation, or may not translation, but a, an understanding of that. These were not just any old bulls. They were bulls of Bastion. Bastion was a fertile plain. It was a, a place where they had enough grass. They had everything they want. And I don't want you to think of some little white and black, you know, little milk cow bull. I want you to think of something more along the lines of one of them Cape buffaloes. Or or some of those wild bulls you see in Argentina. These were different. There has been some research into these animals. Many of you have seen the Cape buffalo or the musk ox. or You have seen uh, some of the buffalo where they will stand in a circle with them all facing out. And the weak and the wounded and the children are in the middle of that circle. How many of you have seen some of those National Geographic type? And they're protecting Well, the bulls of Bashan did something completely different. They had a different predisposition. They had become almost predatory. These bulls had become so mean and violent that if they had something they didn't like, if an animal had come around it, and if you have watched any National Geographic, you will see some of this even in the Cape Buffalo, uh, 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 you know, the way they act. And it is, they would gather around an animal, they would encircle it, and they would repeatedly charge and trample that animal until that animal, maybe it was a lion, maybe it was just some other uh, zebra or something, but they would kill anything that came close. The bulls were vicious, they had no domestic value, they would not plow, they would not be yoked up together, they were wild and untamed, and they lived to destroy anything that came to it. The closest I know of this personally is my uncle had a bull, We, or, or actually it wasn't even a bull, it was a cow, but she had horns like a bull. She was one of them range old cows. Her horns came up and they were as sharp as all get out. We called her old blue. And that cow, I hated. I might have shot it a few times with a BB gun because I didn't like it, which may be why it didn't like me, but. We could walk through the woods and all them other cows, they'd come up and we could scratch their ears and we could feed them. But she would charge at us for no reason. I can't tell you how many little pine trees I had to shimmy up fast because that bull wanted to kill us or that that cow wanted to kill us. I hated that cow. And this is one thing I hated. Because we fed that cow, we watered that cow, we gave that cow worming shots, everything that cow needed was provided by my family and it showed nothing in return. The lions, there's not much you need to say about that. It's pretty simple. David said there were ravenous lions that were threatening him. Not much there, perhaps, if you will. But maybe you can link it to a Bible verse that says the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The dogs that David begins to talk about. It says in verse 16, the dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. In verse 20, deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Again, we're not talking about your fluffy old lap dog that you go home with and you just love it to death. These were wild dogs. Dogs that have lost their domestication. Dogs that had formed packs and hunted with the tenacity of wolves. It's interesting the biblical view of these dogs in terms of what the Bible says. Look at what uh, uh, look at what the New Testament has to say Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1 Actually actually, verse 3 we'll, we'll start there Finally my brethren rejoice in the Lord To write the same things to you To me indeed is not grievous But for you it's safe Beware of dogs Beware of evil workers Beware of the concision When, when, the, when the writers of, of some of those epistles Begin to talk about dogs They were talking about those that would encircle, those that would hunt in packs, those that would gang up. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, don't give what is holy unto the dogs. Don't cast your pearls before the swine lest they trample them under their feet and then turn again and rend or attack you. Revelation 22 gives you an even deeper view of the way they looked at this. Blessed are them that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. That's heaven. But without, beyond the city, outside of heaven, meaning hell, without are the dogs, the sorcerers, the whoremongers, the murderers, the idolaters, and whoever loveth and maketh a lie. This description An understanding of what that dog is. It's a wild dog. A dog that is tenacious. A dog that once it gets on the track, it won't leave until it finds what it's looking for. That tenacious nature and it will attack you. Many of you perhaps remember, uh, it's been a couple years ago, a lot of years ago actually now, we had the canine demonstration here and they brought out the police dogs and they... They, they showed you how those could attack. And, and uh, I've been on the receiving end of some of those canine bites. I've had the arm sleeve on. i put on the whole uh, 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 bite suit and let them take me down. They were dogs that once they grabbed hold, they would not release. And so with all of that knowledge now, how do you put it together? What's the application for it? Very simply this. If your soul is the most valuable thing you own, you have to realize that your soul is under a constant attack by the bulls. Those well-fed bulls that turn on you and trample you and gore you. The bulls that you have perhaps fed and helped, but they don't do anything good for you back. How many times... Have you fed your lust and your desires only to find yourself in the crosshairs of that raging bull? How many times have you thought, well, I can give in to that. I can help that. I can, I, I can allow my flesh to, you know, get and, and pamper my flesh only for your flesh to turn around and try to destroy you and your soul. How many times have you been hunted Bible says, and, and we, we read it, kind of quoted it earlier, the Bible says the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There is this hunt on for your soul. And as soon as the devil, as soon as that lion gets just the hint that you're weak, just gets the hint that you've let down your guard, it's as if he just comes on a beeline saying I'm going to get his soul because if I can get your soul, I've got your life dogged by a pack of wild uh, hounds, if you will. Dogs that are on your track and you can hear them baying, you can hear them coming, you can hear them going, they relentlessly follow you, they relentlessly hound you. That's why the book of Romans chapter 7, uh, Paul says, I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringeth me into captivity of the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? It's it's an echoing of David in the words of Paul. Paul is saying, My soul is constantly under attack. Here's the thing if the devil lets you alone, if the devil doesn't come to attack you, he's all right because your flesh is going to try to destroy your soul. Everywhere you turn, there is something that is seeking to get you off. Your soul. But I fear today that the longer I live and the more that I get around people, the more they've lost the fact of how important their soul is. They can play with fire and it doesn't matter anymore. They can gamble with the most valuable thing they have and think it really won't hurt them because they didn't get bit yet. It didn't happen yet. And so little by little by little they allow themselves to walk into the places where the uh, bulls of Bashan are. They allow the lion to get a little closer. They allow the wild dogs to circle around until they get to the place where they are going to be lost forever. My soul aches when I see people who didn't guard their soul. They didn't guard it. That's why the Bible teaches that it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's the, it's the little things that can mean the difference between heaven and hell. I've watched a person let down the guard of just one tiny part of their life. and I've watched them walk so far away that even if they wanted to come back to God, they don't even know where God is at the moment, they didn't guard their darling. I, I've preached this so many times, and 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 and, and th- this concept of how how much we guard things in our life, and, I, and I'm all for it. But how much we guard other things, and then we think our soul can take care of itself, and we can just do whatever we want to, and it not get affected. If you're going to lock your car at night and if you're going to lock your house at night and if you're going to turn on the ADT security system and if you're going to protect your children and not let them do anything and and, and you don't want them to get out of your sight, and I'm all for that protection. But what would it profit if you gained the whole world but forgot to guard your soul? That's why in the, in the, in the epistles, and we read it earlier in the epistles, it talks about... There are some false teachers, and it specifically uses them as dogs. They're hunting. They're not trying to teach. They're hunting. They've got an ulterior motive. They're teaching false doctrine. And the Bible says if, if I come or even if an angel come and preach any other thing than Jesus Christ, let him be accursed because what they're doing is they're surrounding you. They're hunting you like a pack of wild dogs because at the end, the only thing that matters to them is can they get your soul? It's why it's so important that the Word of God becomes front and foremost in our lives. It's why it's so important that I, I don't go places, I don't hang around places, I don't go and listen to things because there is something inside of me I'm trying to guard. And just because I didn't get bit the first time doesn't mean they're not circling. The most important thing you have is your soul. And oh, so much more. As we see that day approaching, how much more important is it that we make sure our soul is safe? Most of you grew up in a time where you didn't have to lock your houses, you could leave your houses completely unlocked. You you, you probably, some of you may even go back far enough, you had people come into your house without even knocking. You'd fix some coffee and you'd sit around. Cars used to not even be able to be locked. They didn't even have keys. You go talk to Brother Sponsor. I've spent time with him talking about the old uh, Model A that you had to crank with a a crank. You didn't even need a key to start the car. But no one cared. It was a different time and place. But we look at this world today and now we see how, if you will, how much more dangerous this world is. When I was growing up and 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 uh, when I was growing up, you know, we we had a block we could stay on. I didn't even have to stay in mom's sight. I just had to stay in that block. Nowadays, I wouldn't want my kids to go out of my yard. Because we live in a different day and age, but that what happens in the physical is almost always miracle, mir- mirrored in the phys- in the spiritual rather. What what happens in the in the natural is mirrored in the spiritual. And if this day is so bad that we are locking up cars and houses and we are having to put encryption on our phones and putting encryption in our banking systems, then how much more do you think there ought to be an encryption that begins to wrap around your heart that says the thing that matters most is I can't lose my soul. Some of you need to start evaluating where you let your soul hang out. Some of you need to start evaluating how far you're letting your soul get away from the guarding of the word of God. Because if you're not careful, there's going to be a bull that's going to attack you. There's going to be a dog that's going to come around you. There's going to be a lion waiting to pounce. God, deliver my darling from the power of the dog. You know, the only answer I have to that is not so much that that you're going to be able to insulate yourself enough to save it. The thing I'm going to have to tell you is there's only one thing that will matter. You've got to wholly give your soul to Him. Because you can't do it on your own. You can't put enough... Blocks on your phone and your internet. You can't disconnect yourself enough from this world. You can't make yourself a hermit enough so that your soul will be safe. The only thing that's going to matter is if you will put your soul with him. I remember a sermon, I think it's been a couple years, I remember a sermon I preached where, where Jesus looked at, at Judas and said, I'm sorry, looked at a... a Esau, no, how about Cain, there it is, Cain, I'll get there in a minute, brain's a little slow, Cain, no, I am Esau, it is Esau, I'll get there, Esau, when he gave that sacrifice and God didn't accept it, Cain, that's it, I, I'm. It's, it's a little slow today, this is what happens when you get off your notes, if me or an angel preach any other doctrine, Lord, forgive me, Let's try this again. Cain gives an offering. It's not exactly what God was looking for. And so God begins to speak to Cain and says, Cain, let's try this again. I didn't didn't accept that offering. It uses this phrase. It says, says, Cain, why don't you try again? Don't, Don't let bitterness rise in your life. Don't let your face be fallen. Because Cain, Satan lies at the door. Waiting to attack. The problem with Cain is that he walked out of that door and, and, and he wasn't paying attention and Satan grabbed hold of him and it ended with a murder and it ended with a, a, a banishment. But as I preached a couple years ago from that story, I think I did a better job than I just did, hopefully. But it reminds me that he's not the only one standing at your door. The Bible says that the Lord stands at your door and knocks and and maybe maybe I'm I'm taking it too far out of context but in my mind I, I see my life and I see the door of my life and I see two there the Lord knocking the enemy crouching one is waiting for me to walk out unawares and they'll attack the other is waiting on an invitation an open door and he'll walk in and he'll guide and he'll touch he'll protect it's not so much deliver my darling from the dogs but I would tell you you ought to give your darling to him you ought to place your soul in the safest place you know how and that is in the hands of an almighty God that will lead and guide you into all truth for the answer is found Romans chapter 7 and verse 25 I'd like you to stand Romans chapter 7 and verse 25 after he's already said who's going to deliver me from the body of this death. He says I thank God that through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he goes on to pen. There is no therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh. Because if you walk after the flesh you're going to lose your soul. But if you are in as we preached a week ago. If you are in Christ Jesus. You are free and you are safe. Because to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. So I ask you today, I'm asking you first to answer this, not out loud, but you better answer it. How valuable is your soul? Is your soul more valuable than some entertainment? Is your soul more valuable than some places you have gone and realize it might not be the best place for you? Is your soul more valuable than anything else? That's really the only answer that, that needs to come. But if, if there's anything that says, well, my soul is valuable, but I really like this. I mean, I, I do like my soul, and I, I do want to guard my soul, but I, I'm going to go here and do that, and I'm going to play around a little bit. Just beware. There's a bull of bastion that's waiting to trample and gore you. There's a pack of wild dogs waiting to tear you apart. There's a lion that's ready to pounce. If you don't value your soul the way God values your soul. Because God said, I will give anything to save your soul. Because that soul is not yours. That soul belongs to God. God breathed into you that soul. So I will tell you today that your soul is of utmost value to Him. And it ought to be to you. Hallelujah. I want to invite you to step out of your aisle. And I want to invite you to begin to come to this front. And I want you to begin to weigh the value of your soul against what you do and how you act and I want you to make sure you make the right choice would you begin to come in Jesus name